John 20. Okay. It's going to be very fun. So we're going to look at the uh, resurrection account of Jesus Christ. And if, you, if you're new to church, the reality of the gospel is a historical fact. Everything in the gospel has unique historical accounts of unnecessary details, which is how historians nowadays will say, if you want to know what a true historical document is, you make sure they have random details in it. And so the gospel is full of random fun details, like which disciple was the fastest. And for anybody that has grown up in a sporting world, guess what? If I got to write the gospel, I would have let you know that too. I feel like, yes, all of them ran, but I won. But there's random details about it. It's so much so that when the Apostle Paul writes in Corinthians 15 and says, this is the gospel of first importance which I delivered to you that is according to the scriptures, he says that God appeared to 500 Jesus Christ appeared to over 500 people and, he, and in the historical detailed account, he goes, most of them are still alive. Go find them. Go talk to them because this isn't something that happened in the corner of the world. This is something that invaded all of our reality and it was used in the Roman terminology of good news because it didn't matter how we felt about it, it was something that happened and now has impacted history as a result. It's began to invade every single thing that we know, so much so that the calendar that we live by all over the world is based around the life and death of Jesus Christ. BC is before Christ, AD is Auto Domini, the year of our Lord. So much so that we have had everything influenced about who Jesus Christ is. And it's that important fact by which we need to understand we are not declaring something today that is about an opinion, but rather the person of Jesus Christ, whom we are celebrating, the work which he has done and the work that he established in history is forever changing the way we do normal life. Thank you, Lord. And so this is something that we should be excited about, something that we're not ashamed about. The burden of proof is on those that can try to prove that this didn't happen, yet nobody's been able to ever do it. There is not one historical person, there's not one sociologist, geologist, anybody like that that wants to use all of those degrees after their name that's more than degrees of Fahrenheit. Anybody that wants to have all of these opinions, nobody will say Jesus didn't exist. Everybody says, yeah, but what do we do with him? The premise is not about does he exist? Did he come? Everybody says he comes. The question is what did he do and who is he? And what space did he invade? What space did he invade? And so we're going to pick this up this morning. As to spaces, I believe that Jesus is looking to invade in our own lives. Something that he's moving our church through and for. And this year the word was grace that we are entering into as a church. The word of the year, it was confirmed by unannounced others that came in. 
other prophet types that came into our church and said, grace is the word alongside of the word that our lead pastor already said, the word of grace. And so that's something we're entering into. But in the space of grace, there's something of receiving that he's allowing us to walk into. We've been, we've been as a church, we've been wrestling to take hold of things, wrestling to grasp onto things. And now I believe it's time to receive what Jesus has for us. Doesn't mean effort goes out the window. You might understand it, but with, uh, with one phrase that says, grace-driven effort would be happy. Grace-driven effort. It starts with grace, and it's driven. I didn't make up that phrase, but, but that's a helpful way in a frame for us. So let's look at my favorite, one of my most favorite areas of scripture, John chapter 20, verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, okay? So the context is this. I just need to fill you in because we're not going to finish the beginning part of this. The context is this, is the disciples heard that Jesus was no longer in the tomb. They heard that Jesus was no longer in the tomb, and so they raced to go see him. The race to go see, what is this there? And that was the, one of the historical accounts where John, the writer of this, goes, and the disciples got there, but I got there first, basically. And so the disciples went to see. And once they saw that Jesus wasn't there, they went back to their homes. But there's a unique place in here that says, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And there's a tone in here of persistence, persistence or a prevailing. That just isn't a word of just like, she just stood there dumbfounded. No, she stood looking for understanding. Okay? She stood looking for understanding, weeping outside the tomb. And she wept. And she stooped to look in the tomb. And when she saw the two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Jesus said to them, they have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around. She made a U-turn, a change of mind, and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing it to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, to your Father, to my God, and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and he has said these things to her. I'm just going to pray. We'll begin. Father, I ask that you would be glorified in our understanding of you today, that your life your truth, the reality of your goodness would be imparted to us. Jesus, where there's any anxiety right now, 
would you bring in peace? Any confusion or frustration, would you bring in joy? Would you restore to us all that has been lost in this coming season, this season of joy? an anticipation of the outpouring of your greatest gift, the Holy Spirit. As you have been resurrected, would you resurrect dead dreams in us, prophetic words that you have spoken long ago that we think have been forgotten? Would you raise life in us? So that if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, How much more will he give life to our mortal bodies? May we encounter your life and may we go after your healing that you have available to us and receive all that you have paid for and all that you are. Oh, Jesus, how we love you. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your truth. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So the first space that Jesus moves into here is the space of pain and loss. The space of pain and loss. You can get that point up there, Ben. The space of pain and loss. Excellent. To comfort and mission. Let's look at this really quickly together. So Mary, Mary is inhabiting a space that is very familiar to many of us in this room. And I believe, unfortunately, it's going to be even a more familiar reality that we're going to have to deal with. And that's the space of pain and loss. It's not optional. We've established over and over that Christians go through pain as well. We don't get to live a pain-free life, but it's precisely in that pain that makes it very important that we deal with that space in a way that is glorifying to God and in a way that is constantly looking for his goodness, for his redemption, for his life to rise up in those situations because the world is wanting to see and longing to see those that can go through pain, loss, and suffering in such a way that they still declare the goodness and grace of God. Because he has never changed and he has always been powerful. And he is perfectly loving. And yet he calls us to enter into that space. But what we see, the first story of the resurrection of Christ coming is he comes to inhabit that space. And he doesn't, he doesn't avoid the pain of Mary. But there's something in Mary that we need to grasp. While all others ran away, she stood weeping. She persisted in a leaned-in fashion. Some of the scholars I was reading trying to understand the Greek behind this because there was like a hint in it. I'm like, oh, that's a different Greek word for that. Looking at it, there's almost this, this is my picture just to make it easy, a sense of like she's weeping going, I have nowhere else to go. Echoing the very words of Peter that says that, Lord, where would we go? You hold the words of eternal life. God in Christ First, after the resurrection, enters into the space of pain 
and loss. And he brings comfort and mission. He not only does that, he challenges the reality of witness and testimony in that day, and he appears firstly to a woman who were not allowed to give testimony in court. The very fact, this is one of the biggest proofs that most, especially secular scholars, hate that this is in the Bible because it must be true because nobody in their right mind at that time would ever give testimony first to a woman. The other ones in that time were shepherds, not allowed to give testimony in court. And so what? Jesus, incarnation, shepherds, resurrection, ladies. Recovering lost identity. Restoring confusion. Restoring that which was confused. Not resurrecting confusion. That would be awkward. See, the gospel and the reality of the cross is that it looks to the way things were intended to always be and longs for, moves towards the way things God is going to restore in Christ. Jesus never deals with us based on the current morality of our day. He always calls us to a different time and to look towards a glorious future. This is good news. Good news involving our spaces that we live in our spaces that we live in. And the primary purpose that I felt that our church needed to hear on good Easter Sunday is that Jesus' first resurrection encounter that we know of, that's recorded, is he enters the space of pain and loss and he brings comfort and he invites offense. Wanna see? Jesus says to her, Okay, so he comforts her. We're establishing, Mary's pretty excited here. And comfort isn't commiserate with. Comfort is a word best understood. It was a military word to come alongside of with strength. So you want a picture? It's a picture of somebody down in kind of a foxhole all alone and all of a sudden everybody comes in and they stand in there and they come along with strength and everyone goes, woo, and they go charge. Because strength happens. Strength happens, kind of like that, dun, da, 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 that's comfort. Now, yeah, it means other things as well, but primarily it's coming alongside of in strength. So Mary stood weeping, persisting in the pain that she's in, going, Jesus, you are my only space that I know. You are everything that I need. She's outside the empty tomb going, did I believe you for nothing? Where are you in my world? And Jesus comes and he gets her to turn around in it. You see that? It says she turned, and that word turn is not just turn. There's a sensation. She moved from the place of weeping, place of looking at the resurrected Christ, and he sends her on mission from the center of her pain. There's always a turning. Remember Psalms 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the psalm, turns to yet you are holy, on the throne of the universe. And in you, our fathers, they trusted, and we, they were never put to shame. 
for you truly have not forsaken me. There's a turning. There's a spoken reality as to the space that you're in with a turn full of hope. Full of hope. And that's good news. Because good news is something that happened in the past. Something that happened some other place because you're hearing it as news that affects your present reality, anticipating the overflow of that good news. And if you want to study that more, one of the most helpful books I've read on that is a book by N.T. Wright called Simply Good News. And in there, he unpacks the history of the gospel of good news, which you'll see, I need to establish this before we move into the next part. But the establishment of the good news in a nutshell comes directly out of Roman time history. So Jesus takes that word and says, right out of Roman time history, he uses the same word for good news in that. And that's the thing that happened in the past somewhere else that affects our present. And the story that is brought out there is when Julius Caesar was murdered, there were two that rose to power namely Mark Antony and a guy named Octavian, who later became Caesar Augustus. And in that time, there was a battle that took place, and there was a polarizing effect. There were those that were on Mark Antony's team, and then there were those on Octavian's team. And they were, they both had huge support, and then the battle happened, and Mark Antony was defeated, and Octavian rose to power. And here is where good news comes. They sent heralds and messengers to all the surrounding provinces and areas and they would run in and they would announce and they would say, a great victory has been won. Octavian stands victorious. An announcement took place in the city. And everybody at that point would now have to live in light of that reality. It didn't matter whether they liked Octavian or not. In fact, many people were on Mark Antony's team and had to rearrange their whole life. Good news for Octavian's team, bad news for Mark Antony's team, right? So this is what happened. One of the most famous guys that was a supporter of Mark Antony was Herod. Isn't that crazy? He was a, this, I just love this kind of stuff, so you just, don't mind me while I geek out for a minute. The he, Herod was on Mark Antony's team. And he, he looked at the reality and went, oh, my guy just lost. So he sent messengers to Octavian and said to Octavian these famous words, do not, and I'm going to paraphrase it because they're longer words, but he says, do not look at whom I was loyal to. Look at how loyal of a friend I was. And he joined the other team. So get this for a minute. What happens with good news the way it is, is it took Oct Octavian, back here, took Octavian two years to finally come into Rome. Two full years to clean up all the victory battle, all the stuff, blah, 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 and come to the establishment of his rule and reign as Caesar Augustus. And when he did that, the people were celebrating. There was uh, like a cut in taxes. There was food everywhere for a moment, and then they hiked the taxes back up, took away all the food, and then, no, sorry. <laughs> Just wanted to see if we're listening. 
But this, this happened, but the, the thing was, is from the very announcement of the good news, the gospel, life changed forever from that point. Life changed forever from that point. And it was, and we, there, there needed to be a preparation that took place in the space of understanding we're living now in a new rule, even though it hasn't taken place yet. And a sneaky thing happened to Christians in the West in particular, is a bunch of guys and people and women, everybody, I don't know who, started running around with signs like turn or burn, or it's okay, we're just going to be taken up and leave the world burning. All this stuff of like escape-ish theology, which does not reflect God's covenant-keeping plan, okay? God's covenant-keeping plan, because God's covenant-keeping plan is always restoration, always renewal, always life, life. And so we're not going anywhere. One of the young adults in our church yesterday just said the, the phrase to me, we were having a fire, all hanging out, and I evilly put a little plastic in the fire, and she goes, well, that's super evil. You're a bad human being. And then said to me, this is a paraphrase, said, I, and I apologize to the world, but, and said to me, and said to me, well, I guess you can do it though. It's just going to burn anyways. I was like, oh, isn't that interesting? Do you know what I'm going to talk about right now? No, it's not. Not that way. See, when God speaks of the world burning, here's the image I want to give you, because I'm unpacking probably too much for one moment, but here's what the world, what, what we're looking at here, a, a perfect picture. So I used to work for a dentist, and here's what happened in dentistry. When they would take gold, they would refine gold with fire, okay? They'd refine gold with fire. And what you would do is you take a piece of gold, and gold has dross on it, okay? And when you put gold in a flame, the dross begins to spin, and it turns this greenish kind of color, and it begins to spin away from the flame. But when the gold gets purified through fire, restored, renewed, brought to its original, beautiful perfection, the dross almost goes like a and then the gold cycles back towards the flame. Renewal, restoration, recreation. The picture of our world, which is why art is important, why music that we play matters. That's why the jobs that you are participating in matter. In a long story short, it's all participating in God's recreating of this broken world that we find ourselves in. And when the kingdom of God people begin to operate in truth, justice, and righteousness, recovery, forgiveness, redemption, healing, restoration, life begins to happen. And that's a breakthrough of the kingdom of God. That's why your business decisions matter and they must be done in truth because you are actually infiltrating this broken world with the beauty and and creativeness of God, who is truth alone. That's why if you feel you got done in a bad way by a business deal, and you go, well, what good did that do me? Oh, it did more good than you'll ever know in this life. Because you were participating not with the kingdom of this world, but the kingdom of light going, ha, this is not the only space I live in. There's a new space coming and it's God's kingdom of complete healing where there is no more pain, no more sickness, no more death, no more dying, no more hunger, no more night, no more fear, no more 
death. Life. Life. And the reality of that is every time you touch something that has life, you are participating in a kingdom declaration, whether you know it or not. That's why singing matters. That's why the gospel matters. This begins to set the tone of the city. For 22 years in this church, we have been known as a church that reads a little too much scripture. Common testimony is when people start showing up or young people get raised up into this church, they go, man, I never used to read my Bible before. I sure do now. Because as we read, as we declare, stuff happens in this space, in our city. And you think it goes nowhere? When I was growing up, my dad told me about NASA, how they're saying that even radio frequencies are still out there somewhere. It's never gone away. Stuff is happening. And that's why Jesus says your words have the power to create life or death. Do you see what I'm saying? And every time you make a stand in the truth of the gospel, knowing that he has entrusted you something in the current broken space that you find yourself in, in the place of stripping, in the place of sometimes lack and frustration, confusion, and you make kingdom decisions. Trusting in the God who is a covenant-keeping God who wants to enter that broken space and bring recreation to it, restoration to it, that's the grace that we've received. And it'll change the posture of what you live like. See, because going back to that Roman analogy, all Octavian's people might have looked a little crazy to Mark Antony's people because Octavian's people would trust that, well... I can be generous because as soon as Octavian returns from battle, he's going to lower the taxes. As soon as Octavian returns from battle, we're having a party and it's going to be a food festival party. And so there's a trusting that the world that they currently lived in then is going to be changed as soon as their king arrives. Does that make sense? That's why everything matters. That's why art will not be lost. And there is a resurgence, a recovery going on all over the world of art matters. And I don't just mean just visual art alone. I mean artisticness matters. Beautiful. And so the space that she enters here, the space that Mary going back, okay? I need you to hear good news, okay? Everybody, maybe Lord will let me unpack that later in the future, but felt that was important for you to hear. Christianity is not, Christianity is not at all. Christianity is so much more, I'll stop saying what it isn't. So much more about the goodness and loving kindness of a God who keeps covenant and will keep coming towards us in the broken spaces we find ourselves in. That's why we don't have to run from the broken spaces. We can stand in them because it's not the only hope. So, he says to her, don't cling, because i got to go ascend. And here's the message that he gives to Mary If in verse 17. Gives her a mission. Comforts her. She's strengthened from that space. And I felt it was important that we as a church hear that first, that Jesus' first resurrection account is in the space of that pain and loss. It says, do not cling to me. I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father. 
and to your Father, to my God, and your God. Do you hear the offense in that? Mary's the only one that stayed. The only one that got to see Jesus face to face. And her report to go back to the disciples is, he's ascending to his Father. How many disciples would have thought, I missed him. Dummy. John's thinking, all that speed for nothing. Like, I don't, let's, let's be real about humanity. I am not speaking from the silence of scripture. I'm merely showing what happened because the posture of the disciples you'll see next is one of fear. One of fear. And there must have been a sensation of, dang, he's gone. Like, he rose, he didn't even say bye. And he just said to Mary, she was the only one that stood in perseverance in the, main of, in the face of pain and loss. Humanity is humanity. We all struggle with very, very similar things. That's why the Bible says we can take courage when we're going through temptation because it's happening all around the world in that same fashion. So let's look at this because there's fear and doubt. In each of these stories, Jesus highlights one person that matters that represents the whole, okay? One person that matters that represents the whole. And says, so on verse 19, says this, and we'll move through this very quickly. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, keyword, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So what, this is important. He came in the space of fear and doubt. He goes, I'm here. He didn't call them out of it. He entered in it. That's the beauty of the incarnation. We enter those spaces and he wants to come into those spaces. There's no wrong emotions. There's emotions handled wrongly. Peace be with you, which is an establishing structural peace. Not just like a, hey, peace. Peace be with you. A peace that obviously overrides fear that surpasses all understanding. Okay, When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And when the disciples were glad, when they saw the Lord, and he said to them again, peace be with you. Again, he said it. There's people in this room that need to hear that for the first time. Two times, he says peace. So obviously this was a big deal for them to overcome. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Now he's reassuring, I didn't just leave without you. You're actually going from fear and doubt onto confidence and mission. It says this, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold the forgiveness of any, it is withheld. And that space that Jesus enters in there is both powerful and important. And he shows that forgiveness, that forgiveness is a part of advancing the kingdom. Forgiveness is a part of advancing the kingdom of God. There's so much more to say about that. Now he highlights a person. Now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Another guy missing out. See this? 
It's a pattern. It's all intentional. So the other disciples said to him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the marks of the nails and the place my finger into the mark of the nails and the place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. Eight days later, eight days later, the disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. And although the doors are locked again, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And he said, Thomas, he called him out. Thomas, put your fingers here and see my hands. And put your hand, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do you not believe? Do not believe. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen yet believed. Have not seen yet believed. And you know what Peter says? I wanted to take you in this passage later. But Peter says that his confidence is in the scriptures more than what his eyes saw. Do you know that? It's in his letters. He says, no, the confidence that he has in God is believing even more of what he has not yet seen. Do you see that? So we all go, well, it's easy for the disciples to see. They're seeing him face to face. Apparently not. Eight days later, they're still in a locked room. Eight days later, they're still pretty afraid. Eight days later, Thomas gets singled out. <laughs> Apparently, seeing is not just believing. But we hold to something that is true. The scriptures, Peter says, are his confidence even more than what he himself has seen. Do you hear that this morning? And so then, Thomas gets, the second point I have is that, is that he enters that place of fear and doubt. And do you know that that's the second resurrection account according to John? And it's important to know that those that struggle with fear, those that struggle with doubt, are not outside of God's delight. Not in, outside of God's intentionality. For Jesus to single out Thomas isn't going, Thomas, come here, it's time to give you a spank. You're a dummy. He goes, oh, Thomas, come here. Come see. He enters that space, and that's a space. If you're in this Easter time and you're feeling like, I don't really know where I stand in this, or you have people and loved ones that you know need to get this, but they can't see it yet, to understand Jesus wants to enter into that space, and I believe that's going to start as well in a very powerful way. <laughs> and so then finally, Verse 30, I'm going to end with this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples that were not written in this book, but these were written so that you may believe, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life by his name. And after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Hmm. Let's just, why don't we stand for a minute? I'm going to read this scripture just so you can actually believe we're going to be done. <laughs> Truly, he can't make me stand all night. All day, I mean. Here we go. Just don't, don't get distracted, okay? Because this matters. Jeff, if you want to come up here and uh, you can strum away if you don't mind. Just for a moment. So here we go. 
This is my, one of my most favorite possible scriptures on the planet for whatever reason. Just love it. It says this. He revealed himself in this way. That's an important feature. See, he revealed himself in the midst of comfort. I mean, he revealed himself as comfort in the midst of pain and loss. He revealed himself in confidence and peace in the place of fear and doubt. And now he reveals himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the two sons of Zebedee, the other and the other of the disciples were together. Simon said to them, I'm going fishing. Which all the fishermen in the room go, I have a verse. <laughs> I'm going fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. They went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. It's classic disciples, but anyway, side note. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, and yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus, and he said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the other side of the boat, and you will find some. So, the disciples, so they did cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples, a lot of good information in here. <laughs> that if we weren't out of time, I would love to extrapolate on, but here we go. The, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about 100 yards off. And then when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with the fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of that fish that you have just caught. So Simon went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of fish. And the administrative type says, 153 of them to be exact. While the resurrected Christ is right at the fire, I'll be counting fish which is a detail that matters and a detail that says all of you that are like that in those detail-oriented things, Jesus loves you very, very much. Although there were so many, the net was not torn and Jesus said, come, have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord and Jesus came to them, took the bread and gave it to them. This was the third time Jesus revealed, Jesus was revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And here's the, here's the thing. This is the third time. And then Jesus enters the space of those that are disheartened and disqualified. And I'm telling you, this, this I believe, if you have ears to hear it as a prophetic word for our church, this came to me in a matter of 15 minutes while I was doing my own devotions. All the other study and all, that, all those other details, that's a whole different story. But the reality of this word, as I was praying for the church, praying for what God's heartbeat is, I had a different message that I was working on thinking this would be a good Easter message. 
And God spoke to me about this and said, no, about Easter and the resurrection, I want to announce this morning the spaces that he wants to occupy. The spaces he wants to occupy. And the common theme is everybody goes out on mission. Everybody goes out, not mission missions around the mission God has placed you in, the mission of living kingdomly, advancing the kingdom in forgiveness, in love, in truth, in honor. The kingdom of working hard at a job, of doing life well. Understanding that we're a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Completely distinct and separate from the world, yet uniquely involved in the midst of the world. And so Jesus then enters the third time. He says, here's how he appeared to them the third time was to those that were disheartened and disqualified. And he leads Peter individually, but the disciples collectively on mission. Remember, the charcoal fire represented where, Jesus, where Peter failed the most and he betrayed Jesus three times. Charcoal fire, same words, gets transported into this part. Jesus prepares Peter's failure. And brings him at that point from a place where Peter was disheartened and disqualified to restoration and mission. If you want to put all the three points up, here's the spaces that I wanted to give opportunity to respond to today. The power of the Holy Spirit is if you're in the midst of pain and loss, or you might be coming into a time of pain and loss. Remember, Easter represents Christ invading that space with comfort. If there's fear and doubt, he's ready to lead you into confidence and mission. If you're disheartened, you feel disqualified, not on Easter Sunday. Not on Easter Sunday, for he is risen, and he's leading into a space of restoration and that's the famous fireside chat that Peter has with Jesus and says Peter do you love me Peter goes oh you know I do and he instantly says you love me on mission and the amount of times that he denied Jesus enters that space and goes oh you can't out love me you can't outdo me here I am and so the Easter message, the re resurrection message is the gospel invades the broken spaces of our world and brings redemption, life, grace, and hope. Hallelujah. message. If you need um, to deal with any of those things and take the wonderful exchange that Jesus has for you, we'll have a team up here that will pray with you. Also, if you uh, have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior yet, we, we want to pray with you, introduce you to the <laughs> best friend you'll ever have, help you make the best choice you'll ever make in your whole life. So amazing. So good. So good to be reminded this Easter Sunday. I, I read this week a, um, uh, a story that uh, Charles Coulson, who, who was a brilliant man, uh, gone to be with the Lord now, but he said that Watergate 
Uh, those of you that don't know Watergate, uh, you have to look it up. I'm not going to explain it to you here, but Watergate proved to him the truth of what happened in Jesus' time. He said, 12 men would go through pain and torture and agony, many of them for 40 or more years, never changing their story. He said 12 of the most powerful men on earth couldn't keep Watergate a secret for three weeks. He said, I believe that the cross was real. You can't keep it a secret if it's a lie. The reality wins out. And the reality is what Pastor Samuel was talking about this morning. Bless you. Bless you on this Easter Sunday. Go in peace. Take Jesus with you. Amen. Bless you.